All right, this is an episode of Madcap DC. I'm here with Emily Macher. Did I say that correctly? I think I might have butchered it. Machar. Machar? Machar. You got it. All right, boom. I got it. Explain to the people why she sounds a little bit garbled. What's going on with this connection? All right, we're Skyping. And this is the first attempted Skype interview we've done on Madcap. Yes, we're definitely. this is definitely our first Skype interview. Uh, so... And she's in Hong Kong. Boom! How about that? Exactly. So, yeah, we're kind of global. We're definitely kind of So give global. her the question about how she ended up in Hong Kong. Yeah, you? yeah. So how so how did you end up in Hong Kong again? Oh, my husband got a job over here. He's teaching at a university over here. So we just got here about a week ago. Okay, okay. And you're doing, you're writing a book on new domesticity. So explain what new domesticity is. New domesticity is just the term I, uh, I'm sort of throwing at a whole bunch of interrelated phenomena basically related to the resurgence of interest in old-fashioned domestic stuff everything from the knitting and crafting mania to uh the the trend for home cooking and home canning and home baking um all the way through to you know urban homesteading is part of this because people are broke part of it is definitely because people are broke i think this gives people uh a sense of economic control. Plus, it's a fun thing to do when maybe you know you're not out partying and like drinking sixteen dollar martinis. You know, is ground zero for this type of new domesticity Portland, Oregon? I'm just gonna throw that out there. It seems like it'd be a hotbed. I think you're right. Portland is definitely a hotbed for all this kind of stuff. Are you going to be visiting uh, other places as you're as you're writing this book? Well, you know, I'm, I'm actually done with uh, the research of the book, and I did go to a bunch of different places. I went, you know, I'm from North Carolina. I uh, went up, you know, all the way up the East Coast, uh, Brooklyn, upstate New York, out to Chicago, um, Minneapolis, lots of different parts of the country to sort of see how people are uh, are doing this. No D.C., no Washington D.C. in this. Was that, you know, no, I, I in fact, uh, never ended up in D.C., sorry to say. What surprised you, uh, Emily, if anything? Like, what in what new ways that you weren't expecting are people getting new domestic on you? <laughs> I'm just sort of, I was kind of shocked to find how sort of normal all of this backyard farming has become. You sort of read about it and you think, okay, maybe this is kind of a trend that, you know, the New York Times made up in the fashion and style section. <laughs> But not really. I mean, I met so many people who are, you know, raising animals, you know, woman in Brooklyn who's raising rabbits in her backyard in Greenpoint, you know, people keeping bees sort of and and how many people are interested in that kind of thing. And you think, wow, like 10 years ago, this was totally not heard of. I feel like hipsters, hipsters must eat this up. I want to ask you, I want to ask you about this, this hilarious trend of like urban knit bombing where you'll walk by a tree and a, and a tree will have like a knitted sock, like a custom knitted a sweater knitted upon it. What's your take on this? And w- have you seen it a lot? Is it rampant around this country? Yeah, totally. Um, <laughs> I've seen it a lot. I'm from Chapel Hill, North Carolina, and we've got a uh, yarn bombing going on. Yarn bombing. Dana. That's great. Yarn <laughs> bombing. Yeah. I have no idea what this is. Actually, I lived in a. I was living in Sydney, Australia, like two years ago, and they were doing it all over the place. So it's definitely widespread. I think it's uh, people are sort of women, especially, are sort of taking this uh, old-fashioned um, 
you know, very grandmotherly art and using it for sort of semi-political purposes. I think it's pretty cool and it's definitely beautiful and just amazing to look at. And I don't know how to knit, so I'm like, wow. How did you before before we got on, Dan's girlfriend actually asked an interesting question. Uh, where do where do men fit in in all of this new domesticity? Oh, I think um, that's a really interesting question, and I think uh, a lot of this stuff men are really eagerly participating in, especially you know younger guys um, more than ever are, are sort of really seeing a lot of these activities as more gender neutral, especially cooking. I think, um, you know, young men are very, very, you know, passionate about cooking and totally expect that, you know, have no expectation that that's something that their female partners are going to do for them. So I don't know if you guys, uh, do you guys like to cook? I love to cook. I do. I do French toast on Sundays. That's my thing. Okay. Yeah, I'm, right. I'm not much of a cook, but I, I I don't view it as my female partner's responsibility, and I I, I would, but she doesn't really cook either. So we're we're kind of on the same line on that one. If we were if one of us were going to cook, the other one would cook as well, though. But you make the best popsicles. I do, I do. Yo, I this make, guy makes some crazy popsicles. Custom, you have no idea. Custom made popsicles. Custom popsicles. By Dan Bloom, they're out of control. I'm just letting you know. That Thank you. Sounds amazing. We can talk about that. <laughs> we can talk about this on a future episode of Mad Cat. <laughs> But I also, my response to her was also, it seems to me that a lot of men, myself not really included, are getting involved in the DIY movement, do-it-yourself, kind of fixing things up rather than getting them bought or repaired out, outside of the house, or making things like cigar box guitars. I've seen tons of people are doing this. What? Yeah. People are kind of into this idea of, like, hacking the physical world, using it as a platform. Sure. What do you think about that, Emily? Does that ring true to you? Oh, yeah. I think, I mean, the, the term DIY, which is something I use all the time in my book, is really a big part of this. I think there's this idea, you know, especially among, yeah, like younger pe- people that, um, you know, I'm going to do it myself. I'm going to do it my way. I'm going to customize it. Um, I don't want to rely on, you know, the older ways of doing things. And I'm just going to, you know, get in there and experiment and see what I can do. So I think like the DIY movement is um, sort of the umbrella for all of this stuff. I'm, and I'm just curious, um, what in, in terms of like your writing and your research, what interests you more kind of the the move of this entire generation that's going on right now or the move that's happening independently with the genders at this point because there's a lot being written and a lot being talked about in terms of like this being a time of the rise of women but you're also talking a lot about kind of what's going on with this generation how they're going to make their own homes and such so how do you parse out kind of both of these movements oh well i think i mean these are things that are both really interesting to me and I'm I'm interested to see sort of as you know a lot of people I've interviewed for my book talk about you know reclaiming domesticity and reclaiming the home and learning to do things for themselves and you know really wanting to be independent or be more self-sufficient or whatever and I'm sort of curious and one of the things I do look at in my book is you know if people are going to go back to you know really doing home cooking and gardening and, you know, um, uh, building stuff by hand and, and making clothes, you know, how, how are the gender roles going to be in this situation? You know, is this going to be something that women take on mostly? Um, is this going to be something that's really taken on equally? Um, and I think that's one of the really interesting questions about this movement. Do you make your own jam? <laughs> Do I? Yes. Um, 
you know, I'm not I'm not an experienced uh, uh, jam maker, but I have taken a couple classes and I have some friends that are really passionately into it. So I've done it alongside them. But I'm definitely I'm not I, I've done it, but I'm not the expert at it like some people I know. But okay. man, homemade jam is pretty awesome. I don't know if you've had any, but wow. I haven't. I, haven't. I mean, I mean, Dan, can you make homemade jam? I no, mean... <laughs> I, I, I cannot make homemade, make homemade jam. But it, it's also interesting to me to hear you talk about this and you're writing about this is kind of painting this current generation of young people and those coming of age as what sounds to be a pretty able group. Meanwhile, a lot of the larger narrative is kind of about how this generation is online, wasting time on Facebook all the time. Nobody has a job. Nobody knows what the hell they're going to do. So there's one narrative there, and there's some truth to that. And here you are talking about this whole generation of kids who are not really willing to take the old status quo ways anymore, and they're trying to make something new for themselves. Yeah, that's totally right. You're you're absolutely right. There is this sort of narrative that, you know, that Gen Y or the millennial generation or whatever you want to call them, that they're helpless, that they can't do anything for themselves. Whereas I think being able to do things for themselves is very important to them, you know, in a, in a different way maybe than it was for their parents. And I think a lot of this DIY, this do-it-yourself, um, you know, or some, some people refer to it as uh, the reskilling movement, you know, learning to do old-fashioned things that may have been forgotten, you know, making things yourself um, is very important. And, uh, and I think it, it maybe it's because, you know, people of this generation, um, you know, and I, and I do include, I'm, I'm 30, so I sort of, I include myself at the very edge of Gen Y, but I sort of in the larger demographic I'm talking about, I definitely include myself, um, you know, that we maybe have a different idea about what it means to, um, to be self-sufficient and to be able to take care of yourself and to be able to do things on your own. One last question about kind of in terms of the digital life of the millennials before we mm-hmm. get on to the Mormon moms, because I know David is just itching, itching. I'm, I'm dying. He's, he's itching to get I'm there. Dying. Overall, for all of its benefits and all of its detractions, is Facebook a good thing for the millennial generation? I'm a, I, I am a fan of Facebook. I mean, Facebook in particular, you know, I don't know you know, there are some there are some questions people have about Facebook that are valid questions. But I mean, if you're talking about sort of social networking in general, I think definitely I think definitely that's a huge part of the DIY movement is people being able to share skills um, hmm. and ideas online. And social networking is a big part of that. And I see I see that as really I see it as a good thing. But whether it's a good or a bad thing, it's definitely inevitable and it's going to play a huge role in everyone's lives. So, you know, figure out how to work with it, um, you know, rather than complaining about it would be my uh, my advice to anyone who's against this stuff. I love it. That is terrific advice. That is the same advice given on the Bob Edwards show by Parag and Aisha Khanna. Try (laughs) to understand technology because it is damn sure trying to understand you. Interesting. So, where does Lena Dunham, the the protagonist from the show Girls, fit into the new domesticity movement? I love it. Well done. Oh wow! Um, slid that right in there. I don't. I don't know um, if she is. Is I don't know if Lena Dunham is a knitter or uh, or anything like that. But I think um, you know. I think her. I think it was. It was no um, sort of 
coincidence that she she made Adam the uh, the sort of grossitating uh, on and off boyfriend character. She made him a wannabe carpenter. <laughs> um, he is a carpenter. She's yeah. fitting right in with this. Yeah, I mean, you never uh, you never see him doing carpentry, I don't think. But the idea that like he finds it very romantic and cool to be a carpenter and be working with hands, I think, is is really speaks to a lot of uh, Gen Y attitudes, don't you think? I, absolutely. It's like the, hipsterdom has almost gone so far that we are now viewing physical labor in I- ironic context and thinking it's making me cool because I'm doing something that our forebears would have had to do for backbreaking labor every day of their lives. But I have the time and fre- space and freedom and the wherewithal to go back and live that old timey life. Look at me. Yeah, exactly. Look at me the being the key not- phrase of any hipsterdom. Look at me being the end of whatever you're doing. Would it be hipster for me to be like a, a old slave? Wow. <laughs> would, it, would it be? Well, if, I, if I return if I return to the cotton fields, would that make me a black hipster? I believe it was Talib Kweli who said we went from whips and chains to whips and chains. <laughs> whips and chains. <laughs> You're right. You're right. He did say that. Emily, what defines a hipster to you? What defines a hipster to me? Well, that's a interesting question and one I haven't not thought a lot about. Um <laughs> I don't know. I don't think hipster is one of those things that nobody likes to be called. People just like to apply it to other people. <laughs> I think you're right about that. So I guess that's, 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 that's one definition. Yeah, so th- I guess that means watch out for people who accuse other people of being hipsters too much because they are most likely to be hipsters themselves. Yeah, are you guys hipsters or something? Damn What's it! We've been found out. No, no, no. I'm, 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 actually, I'm actually a right-wing, <laughs> a right-wing Lutheran. <laughs> <laughs> if, if anything, so I mean, I just wanted, I just, I just wanted to contact you because some of your, some of your stuff just offends me that much. That's, the, that's why. That's why. Yeah. Bring it on. What <laughs> new domesticity? The old domesticity never left. It's exactly. Still in style. Exactly. I mean, I want, I want dinner <laughs> when I get home. You know what I'm saying? That's that's not. Cool. I'm joking. No, no, no. My mother didn't cook, so I, I don't expect if a woman cooks for me, I think she's trying to kill me. That's that's like that's that's like actually. That's, that's, that's the way that works out. So I heard Emily from David, and he was doing this research, exhaustive research prior to your interview, that you love the blogs of Mormon moms. First of all, how did you find these blogs? And secondly, what makes you so enamored of them? Huh. Well, ask me <laughs> how I found them. Ask, uh, I, I think you got to ask any, um, any woman in her 20s or maybe early 30s uh, about this, and she will know what I'm talking about because you don't have to look for this to uh, – to find it if you have sort of any interest in reading about fashion or reading about like home decor or reading about cooking you will inevitably sort of just happen upon these uh mormon you know these blogs that happen to be written by mormon people and then you'll only sort of slowly realize that um that they are in fact written by mormon women and that I think some of these mormon written blogs do tend to have sort of a more positive tone towards uh towards family and domestic life in a way that's sort of, I don't know, surprising and unusual for someone like me who's coming from this totally secular background and sort of like has always assumed that like, you know, keeping house and raising kids is going to be kind of a drag and maybe depressing and maybe isolating. Mm -hmm. And I think uh, these Mormon mom blogs give a new spin to that that's 
intriguing to uh to women like me so i think i'm i think i'm not alone in this when i wrote the story you're referring to on a salon um about you know my secret love for mormon uh mormon domestic blogs i definitely got a ton of feedback from other young secular women saying oh my god totally you know i love this stuff too <laughs> so has i mean so has it has have these blogs actually changed you have they actually changed your state of mind about some of these more traditional uh, unions? I mean, I don't know if uh, they've changed my mind about uh, about gender politics or, you know, or so-called traditional unions, but I definitely, I mean, I, I think it did sort of point out to me that, you know, why did I have such negative attitudes about, say, you know, raising kids why did I sort of assume that you know like that would be you know I sort of tended to see the negative in it you know what I mean I sort of tended to you know to see people complaining about it and the people I knew sort of you know bitching about it even though they they love their kids and sort of see like people being oh this is so fun you know like <laughs> having big family is so fun was definitely a departure from the attitude maybe I had a <laughs> grown up with so I, I thought that was cool and yeah I think it, it it did sort of open my mind a little bit are you going to give the Mormons a shout out in your blog I mean in your book I do uh, I mean I think I, I definitely look at how different uh, parts of American culture participate in the new domesticity stuff and I definitely talk a little bit about um about Mormon blogging and Mormon domesticity and how that's influenced um, sort of our current domestic culture. So I think the Mormon mo mom blogs and then the sort of Mormon passion for canning and home gardening and self-sufficiency definitely um, plays a part in this. What's the, uh, what's the estimated uh, completion of this book? Like when do you see yourself finishing it? The, the book is complete. We're just editing it. And now, um, now we're, uh, just sort of in the editorial process and the back and forth. So it'll be out in the spring. Ideas for the cover? Haha, <laughs> I don't know. I don't Us. know. I don't know how much control I get over that. So we'll see. It should just be... But let's just, conceptually, if you could choose any image out there or if you could conceive of one for your cover, what would represent your topic, do you think, visually well? Well, you know, I had, um, I had an opinion piece in the Washington Post... Um, in November about uh, new domesticity and there was an illustrator who did a really cool illustration for the story where she had just sort of yeah what you would call a hipster girl and she's uh she's knitting and in the background there's all these sort of like beautiful hip home canned uh, you know cans of jam and peas and stuff like that and uh, and the girl's got you know hipster glasses and tattoos um, <laughs> And she's sitting there knitting, and I thought that was uh, it was a, well, a beautiful illustration, first of all, and I thought totally captured the uh, the gestalt. Does your husband do these uh, some of these duties, like knitting and uh, and some of these other new domesticity duties? Would he doesn't know how to knit, neither do I. But um, he's definitely into uh, woodwork. Into... Or... <laughs> no, he doesn't woodwork. He's into cooking. Would be his big thing. Like um, when we got married, he. Uh, he made his own hot sauce and he like bottled hot sauce for like all of our guests. Right. Nice um, move. So, yeah. So I was pretty <laughs> impressed by that. That was a pretty groovy uh, feat of DIY bottling hot sauce yeah. for like a hundred plus guests. 
It's a man after my own heart. That's pretty impressive. <laughs> what do he name this hot sauce? Goat pig. Goat pig. I knew there was a name somewhere. <laughs> I knew there had to be a name. So how are you enjoying Hong Kong? I mean, it's funny to be talking to you about all these trends that are happening here in the U.S. Meanwhile, you're halfway across the world. Does this have any kind of parallel for where you are now? You know, I've only been here uh, not a very long time, so I haven't had a lot of time to really tap into local culture. But I would say that mm, maybe the uh, the madness for, for DIY hasn't hit as hard here. And I think that's probably because, well, in a large part, because people live in really tiny apartments. Right. So there's not like a whole lot of space to be, you know, doing these big uh, woodworking or uh, cooking or canning project, you know, when you've got 300 square feet. So one of my favorite parts that I would slide into the new domesticity, certainly into the DIY movement and certainly into the triple Venn diagram of hipsterdom is (laughs) is bicycling. How do bikes fit into this? Sort of one of the things that's behind, you know, the the bike phenomenon is that it's sort of a do-it-yourself way of transportation, you know, and for people that are really into bikes and know how to fix them and build them and stuff like that, it's definitely a DIY thing. So I think that fits into the culture that way. It's also getting rid of your car. It's also getting out into the world and kind of being seen. Mm-hmm. I mean, mm-hmm. it, it works with a lot. Well, it, environmentalism is yes. a big part of this. And I think that's a big motivation for a lot of uh, the new domesticity, you know, is going, I want to I want to do things in a more sustainable, greener way. And that maybe if I do it myself and I'm not relying on corporations or I'm doing it, you know, organically, um, I think I think that's a big part of it is um, is environmentalism and also sort of generally not trusting mass produced goods (laughs) is a big part of it. You know, going, oh, I don't trust the food system or, you know. I don't trust uh, corporations or maybe I don't trust uh, I don't trust the government to make food safe. I think that's a big part of it is going, you know what? I don't want to rely on these things. I want to rely on myself. And, you know, I, I have some criticisms of that, but I think that's what's motivating a lot of people. We'd be remiss if we did not ask you pertaining to the new domesticity about the ultimate domestic act, which is, of course, having children. And what's funny to me about kind of hip parents is that they they don't necessarily like to think about being a reincarnation of their parents as they had done it. But what they right. want to do is be the cool parents. Like as long as the guy is wearing a fedora and the mom is walking around with sunglasses on and like a cool print dress, then it's cool to have kids. Do you see any of that? I think people are very aware of not wanting to sort of lose their identities um, when they have kids, whatever that identity may be. So if you were a hipster before, I think uh, (laughs) you probably want to make sure you can be a hipster afterwards, even if you don't consider yourself that. But I mean, yeah, seriously, I think people are... um, Young people are really are are measurably and, uh, you know, will report this in studies are more um, more family oriented than our parents generation Mm. was. And I think that it's it's actually sort of people look at having having kids and, you know, being part of a family as, in fact, um, 
a highly desirable thing. People are very motivated to uh, to start their own families. You know, I think um, you know money is one of the things that keeps people from doing it. But I think um, you know Gen Wires report wanting to have kids and and report wanting to be really close with them. So I think that's interesting. It feels like a really good thing that the home, people's marriages and relationships, and people's decisions to have children it's all seeming to be one big diy platform like the the traditional options don't have to just be limiting anymore it seems like that's what that's the larger theme of all this is people taking more control over even the most basic decisions that they make i think that's that's true people are people are wanting to take more control over the decisions that they make and i think it's a good thing and it, it can also be a bad thing um you know, it's good in that people are, you know, people are doing things the way they want to do them and the way that works for them. And they're, you know, injecting their own creativity and their own personalities into things and not accepting things at face value. Um, I think, you know, the bad thing is that, you know, to some degree, we all rely on the same systems to take care of us. And, you know, if you head too far in a DIY direction, I think you can lose some of the some of the things that sort of support us all. So, you know, I would rather see, you know, a strong FDA and I'd rather see strong regulations in place than like, say, everybody growing food in their backyard. You know what I mean? Yeah, you're trying to put up a wall between what you're talking about and libertarianism. That's the truth, right? And I think (laughs) sometimes that line gets a little bit blurred and you see a lot of sort of weird crossover between people who are very, very lefty and people who are very right wing. And Ron so, Paul, like, that's where it all comes together. Uncle Ron. Uncle Ron. That's the truth. That's the truth. I think, you know, you have people like, um, you know, super, super crunchy, you know, hipster moms who are rallying for unregulated homeschooling, you know, right alongside these like, you know, um, fundamentalist Pentecostal mothers who homeschool because they don't want their kids to learn about evolution. <laughs> and and you have, you know, like foodie hipsters who are, you know, rallying for, you know, raw milk and, you know, unregulated um, food stuffs right alongside, you know, right wing libertarians who don't want the government to have any say in their food. So I think that is interesting and potentially problematic. Is the new domesticity movement happy or angry with Michelle Obama? (laughs) I don't know. You know, I just wrote a post on my blog about, you know, Michelle Obama, domestic goddess and uh, (laughs) and sort of there was a a very right right wing columnist who had praised sort of realizing what's really important for a woman. And, you know, what's important for a woman is to focus on the family and blah, blah, blah. And the funny thing is, she also gets support from uh, from the left for basically the same things with a little bit of a different spin, you know. I think Michelle Obama generally, you know, I mean, what she's doing is fairly unimpeachable from my point of view. Yeah. You know, she's 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 doing anti-obesity stuff and she's gardening and she's, you know, campaigning for better food, which is an awesome thing, you know, no matter which way you cut it. So in some ways you just said the phrase domestic goddess which is of course a reference to Roseanne Barr and her her stand up act and then later a television show which sent up the idea of this kind of perfect housewife that was typified perfectly by Martha Stewart so just hearing you say that phrase domestic goddess immediately made me think of Roseanne Barr as a reaction to Martha Stewart and then the fact that 
this new domesticity can happen is only possible because there's been enough time since Martha Stewart's been very important. Don't you think? I do. And you know what? I miss Roseanne and I miss her portrayal of like the harried, totally imperfect, (laughs) you know, doesn't give a damn, uh, you know, mom who's sort of, you know, whatever, feeding her kids whatever and complaining about it and, you know, just in no way trying to show this perfect front. And I do sort of, I do miss that. And I do worry that, you know, if we move too far in the other direction, you know, of trying to show that we have these perfect, you know, um, hip hipster take on Martha Stewart lifestyles, that something gets lost there and that that does put a lot of pressure on people. And that's a, that's a big worry. It's so funny. It's a backlash to a backlash to a backlash. <laughs> that's just how this culture moves. That's the way it goes. So how are men just messing up? Just, 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 just I mean, He's like. He's a glutton for punishment. Yeah. He just, wants just to know. Break it down, you know what I'm saying, because I won't, I won't divulge my personal relationships, but just explain how we're screwing up as a gender. Well, where do I start? Please, yeah. please, you know what I'm saying, pull out that thick bag. Get of, on the soapbox. <laughs> yeah. We're all ears. Yeah. No, you know what? I think, I think the, the. If, if there are gender problems today, it's less about how men are screwing up and more about how the culture is not giving sort of men space and permission to do what they, they ought to do. I think, you know, I think men have a lot of pressure still to be the primary breadwinners. Men have a lot of pressure, I think, to... Um, to be good earners you know there's a lot of social pressure for men to do that and i think that leaves men less room to sort of try other things and i think you know yeah there's people talk a lot about the rise of the stay-at-home dad but stay-at-home dads are like three percent i think less than three percent of all stay-at-home parents and i don't think that's because you know Dads don't want to participate equally in their, you know, raising their kids. I think dads, especially young dads, really do want to. But I think culture doesn't make it easy for them. I think we still, even if we give lip service to equality, you know, we don't necessarily really respect guys who are making those choices to maybe make less money in favor of spending more time with family. Um, And I think that might shift somewhat, that might be shifting somewhat with Gen Y, but it definitely has a long way to go. And I would like to see, you know, men have a lot more permission to um, to show their domestic sides and to do the same things women have been doing for a long time and go, you know, hey, what's really important, you know, and reevaluate. And maybe that doesn't include, um, you know, gunning for the corner office in the same way and that, you know, that should be cool. Ross and I are looking at each other like we're so down for this. <laughs> I've been, I, I've, I've, I've wanted to be a stay-at-home dad. Sign me I, up. I knew it since I was young. Listen, give me like, a home studio. That's all I need. You give me a home studio, I'll be with the kids morning, noon, and night. Exactly. All right. Well, you, you guys better find yourselves a good earner then, right? I mean, I mean, will, will she respect us? Do we have to start out as a high earner then eventually just ease our way into just a domestic individual or? Do we just introduce I ourselves? Know. I think I think attitudes are changing pretty quickly, and I think a lot of uh, a lot of young women would be totally down with a with a spouse who wants to stay at home with the kids. I mean, obviously, then you have to face some of the issues that women have faced forever. You know, 
uh, like your loss of economic independence and what if your, uh, you know, your sugar mama decides to divorce you, um, which is something women have had to take into account for a long time. So, so you know. Yeah, you're right, but I'll risk it. <laughs> I mean, <laughs> we're, we're still we're, we're still down. Yeah, I'm literally considering this right now. Question about your, your history, Emily. I want to know how you became this, this writer. I mean, you're rattling off all these publications that you've been in. you got a book coming out, you know, and you're, you're still young, like you're successful. I'm just curious, like, when did you know you wanted to be a writer and how did you get to the place where you are today? Um, well, I, um, I always wanted to be a writer. Uh, thought I wanted to be a journalist until sort of after college when I had no clue what I was going to do. And uh, I thought I might be a doctor, but um, I failed Chem 11 and uh, basically <laughs> <laughs> said, forget that. And I uh, decided to go back to my original plan. Um, did, did you go to class? Yeah. Did you go to class? What's that? Were you attending Chem 11? I was. I'm just not good at it. I'm no. just bad at that. And stuff. where were you? Yeah. Where were you in college? What's that? I graduated from Harvard. Um, and then I'm uh, I'm from North Carolina, so I had come back uh, back down to my hometown of Chapel Hill, and I was uh, taking some classes at UNC, trying to uh, trying to see if uh, medicine might be right for me. And I decided, um, no, I am really stupid in that area. So um, I started freelancing for the local paper. Um, eventually, started uh, working as a staff writer at the the daily paper um, in North Carolina, and then sort of branched out from there into um, doing some freelance uh, magazine stuff, some travel writing, and uh, and then went to work um, as an intern at Outside Magazine, which is in New Mexico, um, mm. and uh, spent some time there learning sort of the ins and outs of the magazine world. And after that, I went totally freelance, and I've been freelance for about four years, just writing for different publications. That's fabulous. How does it feel? Oh, I love it. You know, um, like many other people of uh, my generation, I'm not super cut out for the nine to five thing. So. Boom, boom, <laughs> boom. God, I wish I could tape this for my mother. No, no, I'm much, I'm much more cut out from for the 7 a.m. to 7 p.m. thing. That's 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 more of my speed. <laughs> wow. Yeah. Good for you. You're, you're either you're either working like four hours a day or you're working 12 hours a day. Nobody seems to want to do the straight eight anymore. No. Right. Well, it doesn't make sense. Nope. So you know, why should you? I completely agree. Well, it's nice to hear somebody so engaged and doing so well. I mean, I, for some reason, I feel like I'm gaining something by you succeeding. So keep up the good work. <laughs> well, thank you. Of course. So what did your so ultimately have you let your have you let your husband read any of your work yet? Any <laughs> any of this book that you're preparing? Have you let him read? Oh, it yeah. Yet? I let, he read all of it. He what is, formatted it for me. <laughs> he formatted it for me. And what, is, and what does he think? Is he, is, is, he, is, he, is he a rage inside or is it, does it work for is him? Is he a rage? No, I think, um, I think he digs it. Well, he says he does, so, hmm. Would you encourage him to, to be a stay-at-home dad and you go back out into the workplace and, and vibe for that corner office? Hmm. You know, I think I'm I'm happy with uh with both of us working and I think uh you know, if we had kids, I'd be happy with us both working and both taking care of the kid. I think that would be my ideal situation. And where can we find this this goat pig jam? <laughs> the goat pig goat, sauce. You know what? 
I, I told him he needs to make he needs to make another batch of this stuff, uh, but we've been having a hard time locating cayenne peppers in Hong Kong. So uh, maybe <laughs> when we're back in North Carolina next summer, um, he'll make another batch. If so, I'll definitely uh, send you guys a bottle. Thank you. Yeah, see if you can fit in a batch of that that goat pig sauce in between the next batch of kombucha and the home <laughs> home brew and the home brew uh, beer that's coming. I'm sure. For sure. <laughs> Well, if you're ever in D.C., let us know. We'd love to have you on again. And where, if anywhere, can people find more about you or your writing, like a website or a Twitter or something? Yeah, um, well, my Twitter is just my name, um, Emily Matcher. And then my website is also my name, just emilymatcher.com. And Spell my it. blog Spell it, Emily. For my book. Oh, sorry. It's um, Emily, E-M-I-L-Y, Matchar, M-A-T-C-H-A-R. Dot com, and my blog for my book is uh, newdomesticity.com. Awesome. I love how everybody in this generation has their own website. I think that's fun. You got to. Absolutely. Exactly. Got to distinguish yourself. So hopefully by the time, by the next time we speak, I'll actually have achieved my dream and actually will be a stay-at-home dad. I just want to say that. <laughs> that is actually a goal. But I do want to say thank you so much for being on with us. I know it is mad early in Hong Kong right now. I'm saying, I know it's crazy, Earl. Are you going to go back to sleep after this? Or are you just going to do something? I think I might. I think I might. You know, not being a nine to fiver, I yeah. might. How was this? As a, this was this was this wasn't too bad. As, this was like a little early morning cup of coffee. Don't you agree? Yeah, yeah, not too bad. Not too bad at all. Little taste of home, little familiar accent before you have to go out in the world and and face exactly. whatever yes. is out there. Appreciate that. Little Very English. Cool. <laughs> yeah, Emily Matchar. It was a real pleasure to have you on Madcap DC. Thanks a million. Thanks for having me. All right. We'd love to have you back on if you're down sometime in the future. If, if, if the new domesticity pops off like we know it will, we'd love to have you back on sometime. Well, I'd love to be back on. Yeah, and let me know about that book party. That, that launch. <laughs> that yeah. launch. We'll, we'll come yeah. to Hong especially Kong. If it, especially if it's in Chapel Hill. <laughs> especially if it's in Chapel Hill. All right, Emily. <laughs> All right, Emily. Thanks a lot. All right. Thanks, guys. Bye-bye. Thank you. Bye-bye.